good morning. You may be seated. I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Genesis one more time this morning. We're going to go back to Genesis chapter 3 again. And we're going to be looking at the first seven verses of Genesis 3 this morning. talk with you guys about God's word and the importance of God's word as we start this new year so let's pray together father we thank you for this day we thank you for this Lord's day father we just want to take a moment and say thank you that in your infinite wisdom and in your infinite good goodness Lord you knew that we would need a day to rest physically and spiritually to gather to pursue Christ as a church family to study your word to read it to sing it to pray it to hear it preached so father we humbly ask that as we Follow what your scriptures lay out for us to follow when it comes to corporate worship that you bless. That you meet with us, God, that you work in our hearts and you work in our lives, that you open our eyes spiritually, that you open our ears spiritually, that you soften our hearts today, God. Father, every one of us probably are, are wrestling with something struggling through something and maybe our hearts have grown a little cold or a little callous to you and your word if that's the case God I pray that today in your kindness to us as our pastor prayed earlier that your face will shine upon us God and you'll soften us conform us to the image of Christ and then, Father, we pray for the one that's here, the, the many that are here, or the one that's listening, or the many that are listening online today, that if they don't know you as their Lord and Savior, God, we pray that today will be the day of salvation. Father, we pray, God, that just through the simple preaching of the gospel, looking at your word and unpacking what it means and applying it to our lives, Lord, that you will bring a dead heart to life. That you'll graciously grant repentance and faith to those who need it. And so, God, we pray these things and we ask these things. In the name of our great high priest, who makes it possible for us to pray. So we're grateful today. Grateful for this property. Grateful for this time. Grateful for the opportunity. Grateful for the freedom that we have to do this. Just very thankful. So, Lord, minister to our hearts. You're our shepherd, and we're your sheep. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to begin by asking you a question this morning. What will you do with God's word? Or maybe a better question is, what do you do with God's word? Or... Maybe a better question to go J.C. Ryle on us is, how readest thou? 
What is it that you do with God's word? You know, we're blessed as a people, are we not, that we have God's word in our heart language. And if you know the history of how we were able to get the English Bible, then you know that that history was, pe was paved with a lot of suffering and hardship and persecution and adversity and bloodshed. We have a great treasure. We have a great treasure that we're able to, to look at on our phones, to look at on our tablets. If you're old school like me, to actually have a hard copy. We can look at them on our computer. There's no, there's no shortage of access. We have such easy access to God's word, do we not? But the question always is, like, what are we going to do with the gift that we've been given when it, when it comes to God's word? That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I'm going to go ahead and tip you off that the main point is this. The most important decision that you're going to make every single day, every single day of your life, it's not what you're going to wear not how well your outfit matches it's not what kind of blend of coffee you're gonna drink whether you're gonna have cream in it or not really the most important decision that we face every single day is what are we gonna do with God's Word what are we gonna do with God's Word are we gonna read it and are we gonna apply it to our lives that's really my aim this morning in the time that we have to study the word together is to really call us as a church family at the beginning of 2022 to maybe refocus. Maybe there was a time where you were really reading. Just to be honest, you're not reading anymore like you were. Or maybe the Bible for you is something that you've always wanted to read, but you've never really picked it up and read it. And this sermon's for you as well. Or maybe you're at a place in your life where you're like reading it like crazy and you're loving what you're reading and you can't get enough of what you're reading. You know what? This sermon's for you too. And for you teenagers and you young children, you keepers kids, I can't stress to you enough that at a young age, the importance of daily building into your life the habit of reading the scripture don't buy the devil's lie that you can read it when you're older or you'll read it tomorrow or you'll read it when you have time. I want to encourage you to really think about what I just shared, that the most important decision that you'll make every single day of your life is are you going to read the word and are you going to apply the word? I'm going to take you this morning to a really familiar passage of scripture. We looked at Part of this passage last week and we're going to look at it again this week it's going to show us what i'm talking about why it's so important to know god's word and to read god's word but yet knowing the word and reading the word is not enough we have to apply it and brothers and sisters, if we're honest, the temptations that we face every single day really boil down to one very simple common denominator, and it's this. You ready? It's really simple. 
when the temptation comes, what are we going to do with God's word? It's that simple, isn't it? The temptations vary, the circumstances vary, the adversities vary, the hardships vary. They all vary. They're all in different degrees. But at the end of the day, when you boil all of the differing circumstances down to one common factor, one common denominator, one common theme, or one common thread, it really simply comes down to, in this moment, will I operate according to human wisdom, or will I operate according to God, godly wisdom? And we know that godly wisdom is found in his word. So I want to invite you to look with me at Genesis 3. We're going to read 1 through 7. Get reacclimated, refamiliarized, very familiar passage of scripture. Look with me at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. The serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. I said this last week, but I'm going to say this again. This is such a tragic moment in human history, is it not? It really, really is. Remember the things we discussed last week prior to Genesis 3. God's character has been on display. His wisdom, his power, his might, his goodness, his grace, his provision. All of these things were just shining, like I said last week, bright as the sun. That God created things and all that he created was good and that it went according to the way that he intended for it to go. It was the exact way that he wanted it to be. It was what was best for man. And then not only did God create the garden, but he placed man in the garden. And then God spoke to man and conversed with man and communed with man. And his presence was with man. Honestly, if we're honest, Genesis 1 and 2 is the closest to heaven that we experience as we read the Bible until we get to Revelation. Because of unhindered fellowship with God, no sin in the world. It's an amazing thing. But Adam and Eve rebel against God in our, our passage. 
So I want you to look at what happens with me. Look at verse 1 again. We're introduced in verse 1 to this serpent. And the Bible tells us we haven't really heard anything about him before, but the Bible tells us that he was more crafty than any other beast of the field. That's a clue for us that something's about to happen that's going to be a challenge for humanity. It's going to be a challenge for Adam. It's going to be a challenge for Eve. There's something coming that they're going to face that they haven't faced before. This thing that's coming, which we know and we've read about, it's coming on the heels of the fact that God has already given them a command. You can do this, but you can't do this. God has given out of his goodness his word to the man and to the woman. Look back at verse 1. Notice the text again. So we're introduced to the, to the serpent. We're introduced to the fact that he is crafty. But notice what he does. He initiates a conversation with the woman, with Eve. And notice how he starts the conversation. He says, did God actually say? That's an interesting way to start a conversation, is it not? Why is that so significant? What is he ultimately doing in that question? Just the way that it starts. What's he doing here? Well, what he's doing is he's calling into question the character of God. He's calling into question the nature of God. He's calling into question the goodness of God. He's calling into question the word of God. He's placing a seed of doubt in the soil of Eve's heart that maybe somehow, some way, this God who they seen as good up until this point was not really as good as he portrayed to be because if he was really good, as we'll see, he would not have withheld things from them. This is a seed of doubt. I want you to think about this in the course of human history, just reading the Bible simply and just looking at the narrative of history as it's unfolded. Has not over and over and over and over again humanity questioned the word of God? If you looked at our nation and you look at our culture, what's ultimately under attack? You may say family values. You may say the economy. You may say political regimes. And the answer to those things ultimately is no. What's ultimately at, at attack, what's ultimately under attack is the word of God. It's always been that way and it will always be that way. And we see it right here in the garden. And I want you to understand that every attack on God's word that we see unfold from Genesis 3 throughout to today, it's a replay of Eden. It's a constant attack against God's word. So Satan here is placing a seed of doubt in Eve's heart that maybe something's not right with God, that something's not right with his word, that maybe you did not hear God right. Did he really say this? 
interesting. Look back at the text. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Look at verse 2. Eve begins to dialogue with the serpent. One of the things that I want you to be thinking about is this downward progression that happens as this conversation unfolds. So this woman speaks back to the serpent and notice what Eve says. She says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. Was that true? Yeah, that was true. They can eat of the fruit trees. Verse three, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit tree that is in the midst of the garden. Is that true? Yeah, that was true. Now look back at what's next. Neither shall you touch it. Hmm. Is that true? Well, let's test what she says against the scripture, shall we? Look back at Genesis 2, verse 16. Let's look at what God actually said. Genesis 2, 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Was there anything in God's command about not touching the tree? She added to God's word. Isn't that interesting? First, the seed of doubt is planted. She doesn't go back to God's word. She doesn't go back to her husband. There should have been warning lights going off in her mind with the question that was being asked. What did God really say, Adam? Do you remember what God really said? By the way, Adam was with her, so he should have spoke up. Should he have not? His call was to protect her and to provide for her and to lead her spiritually. So he should have spoken up. They both should have gone back to God's word. They both could have said, hey, let's wait a minute. I don't really remember what God said fully, so... We always spend time with God in the cool of the day. He walks with us in the garden in the cool of the day. Let's wait to the cool of the day and we'll ask him what he said. But they don't do that, do they? No. There's doubt that's placed. There's questioning that's placed. It's beginning to germinate. It's beginning to bear fruit in her heart. And she's beginning to twist God's word. I'm not saying that she's doing it on purpose. She's just adding something to it. I would say out of carelessness. Maybe out of neglect. Maybe a lack of remembrance. Either way, there's a progression that's there. Doubt is sown. It's beginning to germinate. It's beginning to grow. She responds, she's in dialogue with the serpent, and she says, neither shall you touch it. Now keep going, verse 3, lest you die. Is that true? Yeah, that was true. As far as eating the forbidden fruit, we read that in chapter 2. Now look at chapter 4. This conversation continues on, and it remember, it's a downward progression. 
It gets more serious as we go along. Look at verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Satan's the father of lies, and that's a lie. She's on this down, downward progression, and now she's listening to lies about God's word. So Satan began to question God's word, put doubt in her mind, questioning God's character. And now Satan is ultimately calling God a what? A liar. You're not going to die if you eat it. That's a lie. Keep going. Verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. That's true. To a degree. And you will be like God. Well, there's truth there too, but there's error there too because they were already made in what? God's image and likeness. Isn't that funny how it works? There's some things never change. Falsehood always comes with truth mixed with error. This is why you need to read the Bible and know God's word. Keep going. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. There is a greater awareness that's going to come to Adam and Eve when you read the rest of the text. You know, you saw it begin in verse 7, that there's a greater awareness that comes to Adam and Eve when it, when, when it regards knowing good and evil. So I want you to think about this with me again. Adam and Eve are minding their own business in the garden. They don't see the serpent coming. They don't see this temptation coming. They don't see this dialogue coming. But yet when it comes, they naively and ignorantly and carelessly enter into a conversation with a being that's questioning the character of God, the nature of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God, the provision of God, the protection of God, and ultimately questioning the word of God. This is a really big deal. You understand that our world is the way that it is. The fallenness of the world all flows out of this moment in time where God's word is questioned and attacked. This should let us, that alone should let us know the significance of reading God's word. That alone. Because let's not forget all of this happened to Adam and Eve prior to the fall. Their carelessness with God's word, their negligence with God's word, they're not going back to God's word. They're being deceived. All of this happened in a pre-fall world. Brothers and sisters, we live in a post-fall world. We have a corrupt, depraved, fallen nature. How much more do we need God's word? How much more do we need to go to the word every single day? Sad what happens next. Notice the text. Look at verse 6. Adam doesn't speak up. Neither one go to God for guidance. Neither one rehearse God's word rightly. They've added to it. They've taken the bait. They've fallen into temptation and in verse 6 one of the things that we see 
is that Eve begins to operate according to her feelings and her emotions, which are subjective, rather than operating according to God's word, which is objective. That's really important. If you stop and you analyze why you do the things that you do when you fall into sin, one of the things that you'll notice is you're not operating according to God's word. You're operating according to human wisdom. You're operating according to feelings. You're operating according to something that's subjective, that changes like the wind versus something that's objective and concrete that we can build our lives upon. It's a really significant moment because here's what Satan is doing. Satan is ultimately saying this in this temptation. Not only is God not good, not only is God's word not good, God has withheld from you something good. If God was good, he would have already given it to you. What you really need to find is you need to find wisdom on your own. And I've got the way that you can find wisdom. Satan's saying you can find wisdom if you eat the forbidden fruit. Isn't there irony there? They already had all the wisdom that they needed. Did they not? In an unhindered relationship with God. Fellowship with God. And the wisdom found in God's word. This is what I'm saying at the beginning of the of this sermon. The most important thing that we'll do every single day of our lives is read the word and apply the word. Because if not, we will be like Eve in this passage. We are all made of the same stuff. And like I mentioned, if you examine your own heart and if you examine your own life and you examine your own choices, you'll see where you do the exact same thing. And so do I. Notice what she does in verse 6. In her quest for wisdom, she throws off God's word. Folly and foolishness, she becomes unwise. Notice the appeal to the senses. Verse 6. She saw that the tree was good for food. She's operating according to what? Her sight. Look at the text. She saw that it was a delight to the eyes. It appealed to her flesh. It appealed to the flesh to find wisdom apart from God. It appealed to the flesh to be like God, to be God, to be their own God, to not submit to the authority of God. And that the tree was desired to make one wise. This is sad. This is sad. The downward progression. She's operating according to her feelings and her emotions. So is Adam. He's yet to say anything. So what does she do? She took of its fruit. She ate the fruit. She gave the fruit to her husband who was with her. And he ate it as well. Notice the results. Then the eyes of both were opened. What did they do in this moment? They took the bait. They took the lie. That somehow, some way, they could do life in the garden 
apart from God and apart from his word. Is that not still the lie today? That somehow, some way we can find life apart from God and apart from his word? That somehow, some way I might be good enough to earn my way to God? That somehow, some way if I do enough good things that, that I can, when I stand before God one day, that I'll be okay, that my good will outweigh my bad? But the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says that we need the righteousness of Christ that's imputed to us, not earned. It's given by God's grace. Brother Eric, is that still not the counseling world today, even sadly within the church? That somehow, some way, we need to go outside of God's word to find the answers to all of our issues and problems. When in reality, God's already spoken. God's already in his wisdom given us his word. Richard, is that not the way things are when it comes to preaching today? That people say you need to preach your feelings or preach this way or preach that way or do this or do that instead of just opening the book and squaring your shoulders and preaching the Bible? One of the things that we sadly learn from this text is when you reject God's ways and you reject God's word, I guess it's sad, but it's also good, is it never goes well with anyone. And that's what they do here. Eve totally operates according to her feelings. She totally operates according to her flesh. She totally operates according to her wisdom. She totally throws off the wisdom of God. Brothers and sisters, every time we operate in our lives by not reading and applying scripture, do you know who we're ultimately like? We're like Adam and Eve. You say, well, I've got a high school diploma, or I've got a college diploma, or I have an advanced degree, or I have a PhD, or I'm with this, or I'm that, or I've had this training. I'm really smart. The Bible's clear that human wisdom is nothing but folly, and true wisdom is found in God. I want you to think with me about the preacher in Ecclesiastes, Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived. The greatest king that Israel ever had when it came to military power and, and might. Unfortunately, he was not a man after God's own heart. But you know, if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you know what he says? Let me give you the cliff note version. I had all the things that I could have. I had all the money. I had all the houses. I had all the stuff. I had all the horses. I had all the land. I had more servants, I had more concubines, I had more wives, I had all the ladies, I had all this, I had all that. You know what he said it is? Vanity. Worthlessness. Meaninglessness. Do you remember what he says in chapter 12? That the end of the matter is this. To fear God and keep his commandments. That's a warning to us, is it not? That's a help to us, is it not? As smart as many of you are, much smarter than myself, none of us combined were as wise or as smart as Solomon, but yet in all of his wisdom and in all of his smartness, people came from all over the world to learn from him. He says none of that mattered 
What really mattered was fearing God and keeping his commands. In other words, what really mattered was reading the word and applying it to our lives. That's what mattered. This is sad. This is a sad indictment on humanity. So what do we do with this? Well, there's lessons that we can take away. I want to finish up this morning with a few points of application. Number one, the most important thing that you have in your life is God's word. That is the most important thing that you have in your life. I don't care if it's on your phone, a tablet. I don't care where you have it. A hard copy doesn't matter. But that is the single most important thing that you have in your life. And listen, we need to hear that on the heels of Christmas, do we not? Even if you didn't get everything that you wanted, we live in the most blessed nation in the world. And every one of us got a lot of stuff for Christmas. And that materialism and that greed and that desire for more stuff, it affects every one of us if we're not careful. It doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter how spiritual you are, it affects every one of us. So more important than anything else is God's word. You have to get that straight. It's more important than your job. It's more important than your career. It's more important than anything else. That's why Jim read at the very beginning of our service today, Matthew 4, 4, where Jesus Christ said himself that man does not live by what? Bread alone. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Either that's true or Jesus is lying. If Jesus is lying, he's not God and we're all in trouble. I would say that's true. Do you believe that? It's so easy to sit in a church like ours and just say, Amen, yeah, I believe that, yeah, I believe that, yeah. But does your life show that you believe that? Number two, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 1, 7. That's what Proverbs 1, 7 says, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise what? Instruction. You know what that means? I love you, and I love you enough to tell you the truth. That when you hear God's word and it rolls off your back like water off of a duck's back, and it doesn't penetrate your heart, and if you're not in the faith, and you're being called to repentance, and you're being called to faith in Christ, and you blow it off, you're being foolish. Or if you're a believer... And God's working in your life and putting his finger on that area in your life. And he's calling you to something more, calling you to pursue whatever it is, pursue Christ more. And you blow it off and you ignore it and you don't apply God's word. You're being foolish. The same is true for me. That's what Proverbs is telling us. Number three. I mentioned this a minute ago, but this downward progression was pre-fall. We live post-fall, so... We need to be even more vigilant. Neither you nor I have enough willpower. You can't read enough self-help books. You can't go to enough websites. You can't download enough apps. You can't set enough reminders with Siri. You can't do any of those things enough to, to will yourself to follow the Lord. You need his help. You need his grace. We need to be vigilant. We need to be discerning. 
can't will ourselves to overcome temptation. We've got to be vigilant. We've got to be vigilant. We need God's help in that. And then number four, I want to camp out here for just a few moments. So I really wanted to talk with you guys about this this morning. And we as a church family, hear me carefully. If your mind's beginning to wander, you're still a little groggy from staying up past midnight on New Year's Eve. Refocus with me. Because I want you to focus with me very closely right now. Everybody good? We as a church family, we need to remain committed to God's word. We as a church family need to remain committed to God's word. We need to remain committed to God's word despite the direction of our culture at large. You look at our culture at large and it's unraveling morally faster than a runaway train. It's, it's an amazing thing. The moral decay. Sad. There's pressure on Christians. There's pressure on churches to get in line with the culture. So hear me say this. We collectively need to make sure that we don't fall in the trap of Eve and think that somehow, some way, if we apply human wisdom, we can attract more people to church. That if we just give a little bit on this command and give a little bit on this command or give a little bit on this command and budge a little bit here and budge a little bit there, then we'll be more acceptable to the culture. I want you to hear me very carefully. I don't really care about being acceptable to the culture. As your pastor, I care about being acceptable to God. And the way that we're acceptable to God is we don't budge on God's word. This is, a, this is a community effort. This is not a pastoral effort. This is a community effort where all of us in this community of faith here at Everglades Baptist Church, we have to wake up and we have to read the Bible and we have to apply it. And we have to say that it matters enough that we will not budge no matter what the culture says. I think that's also true for the church culture at large as well, amen? Sadly, the church culture, the evangelical church in America is rapidly going the wrong direction as well. And there's great pressure to conform to what the majority of voices say in the evangelical church that we need to be and we need to do in order to be acceptable. Say the same thing I said a minute ago. I don't really care about being acceptable to the majority of evangelical churches in America. I really care about being acceptable to God. And those of you that have been here for a long time, you know, that's where we've always stood. And on January of 2022, the first Lord's Day, I think it's important that we just state the obvious again, that we go back to the basics again, that we've never budged, we've never moved, we've always remained steadfast as best as we can to the word of God and that we need to keep on doing that. Look at the text that we read. My goodness. The fall came from human wisdom. The fall came from Adam and Eve rebelling against God, thumbing their nose at God, doing their own thing. Curse came from that. Whereas there was blessing that was there for obeying the word. 
That means we have to be careful how we mark blessing. Amen. We need to. Blessing is being able to hear the word of God preached every single week straight from the Bible. You guys realize, you guys realize, I'm not bragging on Eric or Jim or myself, but I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm going to shoot you straight for just a second. Not that I haven't been doing that before. Figure speech. Our church is in the minority. To have a man stand up and open the Bible and to read from it and explain it and preach it and apply it. We're in the minority. And if you don't understand, like, it's so easy to, to kind of take that for granted. Well, I'm just going to go to church today again and just going to hear preaching. I'm just going to go to church again today and hear more preaching. And our, and our hearts sadly get dull. Our hearts sadly get calloused. Our hearts sadly go, go numb. And we just get used to it. And then we can think that it's like that everywhere. Hear me say this. I'm not being critical. I'm just being honest. It's not like this everywhere. It's not. God has blessed us tremendously. And I hope you're grateful. I hope you're thankful. It needs to be our God for corporate worship. The regulative principle. We pray the word. We sing the word. We read the word. We preach the word. Why do we do those things? Because that's what God's laid out in scripture. We worship God according to the way he's laid out in scripture. We don't have the right nor the freedom to do whatever we want. It doesn't work that way. It's our guide for family worship. So let me go there for just a minute, brothers. I had to confess sin to my family last night. On New Year's Eve, we took a little bit of time as a family to reflect and thank the Lord for things that he did in 2021 for our family. And then on New Year's Day, we took some time as a family to, to voice some new commitments we want to make to the Lord. And one of those for me was to simply be more consistent in family worship. I'm asking that you pray for me in that, to be more consistent in family worship. Brothers, it matters that you open the Bible with your children or with your spouse and that you read it. Single ladies, it matters that you pray that your husband or that your husband one day will do that with you. It matters that God is not only it that God is not only the Lord when we gather here, but God is the Lord of our homes and that we read the Bible together and then Obviously, you know where I'm going to go next, which is that you're reading the Bible individually. That you're reading the Bible individually. Now, I know what you may be thinking because we all live in the same world. We're all busy. But you may be thinking, well, I don't have time. So I want to lovingly push back just a hair and just say, look, I think we do have time. It's just a matter of how we use that time. Let me give you some statistics. According to the American Academy of Child and Adolescence Psychiatry, children between eight and 10 years, excuse me, eight and 12 years old spend on average four to six hours per day with screen time. 
So screen time would be what? Computers, movies, videos, YouTube, gaming, stuff like that. So the average child between the ages of 8 and 12 spend 4 to 6 hours per day on some sort of a device. The average teenager, the average teenager spends up to 9 hours per day on some sort of device. That's hard to fathom, but I remember last year coming back from spring break, going back into the classroom, and I remember asking one of the kids, hey, what did you do over spring break? And one of the students said, I really didn't do anything. I spent the whole time on the computer. I was like, what? How many hours a day did you spend on screen time? And it was like 12 plus hours or something astronomical. Chatting online, gaming online, all those types of things. 2019, the average person, the average person, so not just minors, the average person uses social media, some sort of social media on average, 145 minutes per day. Most of that's probably mindless scrolling. Your index fingers are probably really good at that. Think about that. 145 minutes of your life, the average person spent on social media per day. The average person uses their phone on average three hours and 43 minutes per day. It's an amazing thing. According to another source, the average American spends more than four hours per day watching TV. They went on to say that in a 65-year lifespan, that person will have spent nine years of their life simply watching TV. Rachel and I have a saying that we picked up. It's been attributed to many different people, several different sources, but I think it's ultimately anonymous. It says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Brothers and sisters, let's be honest. It's really not a matter of us not having enough time, is it? It really is a matter of how we use the time that we've been given. And if I can go there for just a second, Think about the sacrifices that you're willing to make when a football game or a baseball game comes on TV. You're willing to rearrange your whole life schedule so that you can watch that game or watch that show. Maybe you're like me, you like fishing or you like hunting. It's amazing what time we'll get up in the morning to go do those things. Three in the morning, four in the morning. We do what we want to do, don't we, brothers and sisters? Look, let's be honest. None of us read the Bible like we all. None of us. So I know that there's conviction that's there for all of us, myself included. It's not my intention to make you feel guilty, but it is my intention, or to condemn you, but it is my intention to challenge you to look at your heart and look at your life and look at the way that you spend your life, the way that you spend your time, and make God's word a priority individually in your family 
and in the church. I've told you this a thousand times. As goes the individual, so goes the family, so goes the family, so goes the church. As goes the church, so goes the culture. Look at our culture. So do we, need, do we as a church need to stand firm on the fact that we believe that God's word is infallible and inerrant and authoritative and sufficient? Absolutely. I would die for that. And the way things are going, that may happen. I would die for that. But it can't stop at the church level. It has to be true of your home. And it can't stop at the home level. It has to be true of you individually. If not, it's all just hypocrisy. Does that make sense? So here's my challenge. I sent this out to the guys yesterday. If you've never read through the Bible, now's a good time to try. Now's a good time to try. And I get it that it's hard. I get it. But aren't all things in life hard? Yeah. You start a new job. Is it easy? It's hard. But you press on and that learning curve is steep. But you overcome the learning curve no matter how hard it is. Why? Because you want to and you need to make money and you need to live and pay your bills. So I get it when you read, you're all pumped up and you're excited and you make it through Genesis and you go into Exodus and you get past the Exodus and then you start getting into the laws and then you get into the genealogies and all this stuff. And you're like, ah, I got a headache. What does all this mean? And then you can get discouraged and quit. Can I encourage you? Don't quit. You don't quit at other things in life that are important to you. There's nothing more important, I promise, than this, than this book. Don't quit. Press on. Hear me say this. There are still times in my life when I read the Bible and I don't understand what I just read. I'm like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'll come back to that later, I guess. So if that's you, I just told you that's me. We're in good company. You know what you do? You just keep trucking and you just keep reading. Just keep reading and the next time through it'll become more clear and the next time through it'll become more clear and the next time through it'll become more clear. But I promise you this, if you never read the Bible, it'll never become more clear. And ultimately what will happen to you when you don't read the Bible is you will be like Adam and you will be like Eve and your entire life will be operating on human wisdom. You'll operate based on what you think. You'll operate based on what you feel and look at how that worked out for them. By the way, look at how that worked out for us. We inherit Adam's guilt. We inherit a corrupt nature when we're born. I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you to read God's word. You know, you can read the Bible. Pretty big book, right? You can read the Bible in just like three chapters a day. Now, when you get to Psalm 119, that might take you a little bit more time to read all that. That's a pretty big chapter. How long does it take to read a chapter? Well, the average chapter is probably, what, 30 verses? Some are longer, some are shorter. Some read fast. I read pretty slow. I process pretty slow when I'm reading. 
But how long does it honestly take to read a chapter of the Bible? Eight to ten minutes? Remember what I said. The average person uses social media 145 minutes per day. Can we not just knock off 30 minutes of that 145 and just say, you know what? For 30 minutes, I'm going to fast from social media or I'm going to fast from screen time or I'm going to fast from something else. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it a priority to read. Read on your lunch break. We also have technology. You can get the audio Bible. You can listen to it while you're walking. You can listen to it while you're exercising. Some of you probably on this New Year said, man, I need to start exercising. What better thing to do while you're exercising than listen to the Bible? That's my call. That we as a church family, we just refocus. That we renew. That we recommit. That we repent. Salvation is found in the Bible. That's how we learn who Jesus is. What he's done for us. It's an amazing thing. Let's pray together. <coughs> Father, I thank you for your word. God, I think it's only right and fitting just for myself just to confess my sin before you and my brothers and my sisters in Christ. God, I'm not there. I don't want to pretend like I'm there, but what I do want to do is pursue you. I want to get there. God, I pray for a greater hunger and a greater thirst for you and your word. And God, help us not be so distracted. Lord, we cannot do this on our own. We need to be vigilant, but we need your help to be vigilant. We need to pursue you, but we need your help to pursue you. And so, Father, I pray for us this morning. Now, whatever excuses that we made in the past, that we'll do what Paul says, that we'll forget those things which are behind, and we'll press on towards the upward calling of Christ. God, may we repent and move forward in faith. And then, Father, I just pray for us as a church as a whole. As the days continue to grow dark in our nation, God, may we not waver on your word. God, I thank you that you placed us in a body that loves your word. That's a good thing. God, help us not take that for granted. Help us to keep that and preserve that. So Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. I invite you to stand to your feet as we worship the Lord through song. together with it as well. 